The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Right now, though, this has been interesting to watch. Uh, more and more UCP MLAs and the Speaker of the House uh, speaking out about their colleagues who traveled out of the country over the holidays and uh, the Premier's handling of it. Uh, we saw in an email to a constituent over the weekend, the Speaker of the House, uh, Nathan Cooper, who's also the MLA for Olds Didsbury Three Hills, said, quote, that so many of my colleagues chose otherwise should be of great embarrassment to the government, especially Premier Jason Kenney, who chose not to sanction these senior officials and staff members until he was prompted to do so by widespread public outrage. And then Deputy Speaker Angela Pitt, the MLA for Airdrie East, echoed Cooper's beliefs in an email saying, quote, I too am extremely disappointed in the actions of my colleagues and furthermore, the response and inaction from the Premier. She wrote that last week. So these voices are just some that have spoken out, really breaking ranks, so to speak, since the travel controversy came to light about 12 days ago. This also all comes as new polling suggests that Alberta's United Conservative Party would face a drubbing if an election was held right now. The Main Street Research Poll says 41% of Albertans would vote for the NDP. 26% would cast a ballot for Premier Kenny's UCP. 9% would back the Wild Rose Independence Party. To chew on all of this, we're joined by Mount Royal political science professor Dwayne Bratt. Dwayne, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jaylen. That was quite a oh mouthful my. you had to uh, get through <laughs> at the beginning. Oh, my goodness. It has been a quite a mouthful since January 1st. Let's be real, Dwayne. This has been unbelievable since, uh, you know, the start of the year. So when you read those words from the Speaker of the House and the, the, the Deputy Speaker of the House, and you're saying that you're hearing more from others, what did you think? So the the comments from Nathan Cooper, um, he is the most senior level person uh, to come out critical of the uh, of the government. He is the speaker. He did not write this on behalf of being the speaker. He wrote it as being a local MLA. But I don't think you can divorce the the two positions. He is one of the in the same. And he went much further and much more detail than Angela Pitt did or. Uh, Michaela Glasgow out of Glasgow? Madison has, yeah. who had made some comments earlier. You know, the phrase, uh, you, you talked about the great embarrassment. He also talks, says, you know, the, hy- the hypocrisy of the scandal has clearly undermined the government's moral authority. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. strong language. We have not heard from a cabinet minister yet. Um, the speaker is an interesting role because while it is a, a very important role, a very senior role, he simply can't be hired and fired by the well, premier. Yeah. So that gives him a bit more um, latitude than a than a minister. What are you hearing from others? I, I've been hearing talks about maybe you know the possibility of a, a grassroots groundswell kind of movement if they could get enough people who were you know that ticked off at the the premier and the way he handled it to um, to force something being done. And I don't know what that would look like. But if you had enough people ticked off with the premier and the way that he handled this, what could that look like? Well, and this is the thing, like they're blaming the premier not for what he 
did in the sense that he didn't travel anywhere, but mm-hmm. in his reluctance to sanction or did not sanction enough, not one, not two, but six of his MLAs. So that's like 10% of the, of the caucus. So I think this isn't just about caucus versus the premier. I think it illustrates some real divides uh, within the caucus. Why did that many feel that they could go away? It sounds to me like there must have been some sorts of discussions going on um, that this isn't rogue independent action uh, just because there were there were so many of them. You, have you been um, hearing or seeing other emails similar to this one, Dwayne? Yeah, and I've also seen, you know, before the, the reversal. So January 1st was the press conference that Kenny gave. Uh, and then uh, where he said, you know, he takes full responsibility. He wasn't clear enough. He didn't tell people not to travel, but that he was, and he wasn't going to punish anybody. And then on the Monday, of course, is when he, he changed his mind. And I saw yeah. numerous messages over that weekend. Uh, for some reason, they were CCing me on their complaints <laughs> to the M- to various MLAs. And I can tell for people who think, oh, yeah, calling up your MLA, writing them an email, that doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference. And, I thought and it was I think interesting. It was clear um, that there was a reversal here. And not because. You know, the opposition was upset or the media was upset. It's because their own membership was upset. It was interesting in that news conference uh, last week. So first, uh, let me get this right. First out at the Dr. Dina Hinshaw conference, uh, Rick McIver was rolled out. Tyler Shandro came out, kind of softened things up. And then a couple of days later, Premier Kenny joined. And uh, and then he apo- he, he apologized. Um, and, and let's be real. From everything that I know about uh, Jason Kenny and everything that I've read about him, apologies, saying sorry, that's not something that comes um, easily to him. Um, but again, he he said, you know, I I, I I take the blame for it. It is it was my fault. I thought one of the interesting things that he had said when he was asked about the the hashtag, you know, on Twitter, hashtag resign Kenny, hashtag whatever it was. He says, you know, I don't govern by uh, hashtags or um, you know uh, what's on Twitter. Um, and there would be many that would <laughs> would suggest that what was on Twitter might have led to the fact that he finally stood up and did something. I I would say it went well beyond Twitter. And while Kenny may not govern by Twitter, he's got a lot of people on his staff who seem to spend Mm -hmm. an inordinate amount of time uh, on Twitter defending the government. So I don't think it was just Twitter. I I think it was uh, was right across the spectrum. I mean, I've got family and friends who rarely follow uh, politics, maybe at election time. But they were clearly aware of this, and they were clearly uh, very uh, unhappy uh, by it. And the other is is when Kenny had his press conference, said you know he was unaware that his minister had traveled, and he was unaware that his chief of staff was was out of the country. That also goes harshly against Jason Kenny's brand, which is yeah. a workaholic micromanager. How do you yeah, not yeah. know where your chief of staff is? 
Yeah. Dwayne, one of the things that I want to make sure that we, you know, we, you know, I just don't want to, you know, be looking at what happened a week and a half ago. I want to, you know, when, when you have Nathan Cooper coming out and saying what he did, when you have, when you have uh, the deputy speaker, Angela Pitt coming out, when you're hearing other things, when we talk about discontent, when we talk about disconnect or discontent inside of that party, what does that, what does that mean going forward right now? If that's, if, if that is, truly the case well i'll go one step forward i don't think there's just discontent and divisions within the caucus over holiday travel i think the bigger division is actually over the restrictions around COVID to begin with Mm -hmm. and because those two issues are obviously linked and the reason i say that is jason stefan an mla out of red deer when he came back, he never apologized. He, in fact, no. you know, criticized the rules that were in place. Miranda Rosen, who's an MLA out of Banff, Kananaskis, uh, wrote in her newsletter similar sorts of, of things. So back in November and December, there was all this discussion about why there were delays in the government taking on harsher measures. Part of that reason is that the caucus itself is incredibly divided and this is just going to accentuate those sorts of uh of divisions what do we watch for what do we watch for in the coming days in the coming weeks then um if if there is this divisiveness what what should we be keeping an eye out for well historically amongst conservatives in uh alberta it's not the opposition that removes leaders it's actually their own people. It's caucus, it's donors, it's constituency association presidents. Those are the people who removed Alton Redford. Those are the people who removed Ed Stelmack. Um, those are the people who, who pushed Ralph Klein uh, out the door at the end of his uh, tenure. Now, I'm not suggesting that is going to happen to Jason Kenney. I think he's in a much stronger position mm-hmm. Than the the rest of the people I just mentioned. But it clearly shows that he has got problems within his own house that he needs to clean up before they can figure out what to do elsewhere. Dwayne, did you see these latest polling numbers? It was this Main Street research saying that 41% of Albertans would vote for the NDP and 26 would vote for the UCP if an election was called right now. What do you make of that? Yeah, I try. Um, I've got some some bad history with Main Street, so I try not to comment on, <laughs> okay. on Main Street polls. But I will say we have seen numerous polls um, that have shown a real plummeting in, in support um, for Jason Kenney of the UCP, as well as uh, their handling of COVID. Uh, Leger put out a poll last week showing that support for how they were handling COVID was below 30%, and the next mm-hmm. lowest province was Ontario, that was at 57%. So you combine low poll numbers with uh, dissension within caucus, and bear in mind, this is a brand new party. Right? This was mm-hmm. this was put together in 2017. This is not a long-standing uh, party, and there are existing tensions uh, 
uh, between different forms of conservatives. I think we're also seeing differences between whether you're an uh, an urban, in this case a mm-hmm. Calgary, because there ain't many uh, uh, urban uh, Edmonton UCP MLAs, and the more rural caucus. Uh, those are coming to the uh, to the forefront. Duane, I want to switch gears with you just for a second, uh, moving from the provincial uh, focus to the federal focus, if, if you if you have a couple of more minutes for us, because you know what I'm, I'm looking at and hearing uh, as well, you know, the prime minister talking there, there's, you know, there's, there's rumbling about possibly an election coming up um, that um, the prime minister saying, telling his uh, party's national board of directors before Christmas that, you know, it looks like the next election would happen this spring. I suspect that that might come on on the next federal budget. Um, his polling numbers remain high. Are you are you expecting a federal election this year? How likely do you believe that that could happen? Oh, very likely. Uh, I said in the aftermath of the 2019 election that the next election would be roughly spring of 2021. And that's because most minority governments last about a year and a half. What complicates that, of course, is we would be in the middle of a pandemic still. Mm -hmm. But we have seen elections in New Brunswick, in Saskatchewan, in B.C. Mm -hmm. By the time that, let's say, March or April come in, you're going to have seen several million people already being vaccinated. You've got the the liberals in a in a lead, uh, although not in uh, the prairie still. You also have, um, you know, so so I think those I would anticipate uh, an election when he increased the carbon tax and rolled out his climate plan. He was yeah. almost daring Aaron O'Toole to to fight an election mm-hmm. against that. He was fully prepared to do that. And it's an interesting case where you essentially raise taxes or promise to raise taxes because this is a long-term plan and tell the opposition, you want to fight me on this? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm having some problems here because I know certainly that there's, yeah, I, I'm wondering, you know, what the plans are for the economic recovery for this country, you know, um, whatever, 11 months into uh, COVID. What does that look like? I was reading an article today saying that uh, the you know next budget um, would make a splash. Uh, I think people are, are are fed up with splashiness. They want some yeah. details. I think that's a, a real big one, and the lack of details on the recovery and i get that there's a lot going on but there's a lot of people who are like where does the economy of this country go in the next year five ten years and and they want to hear something from the prime minister i think they want to hear something from the prime minister and an election campaign can do election campaigns are fought on previous records and future plans so it's not just you know where is the liberal plan it is where is the conservative plan okay. uh, yeah, yeah. as well. And then people can you know, mix and match and, and compare. Mm-hmm. And the liberals will have an edge because they've got the finance department. You know, They've got all the numbers. They've got a bureaucracy working for them. Mm-hmm. It is much tougher for the conservatives. But in that sort of scenario, they have to do more than just oppose. They would actually have to offer uh, an alternative Uh, I think the Liberals, if they're vulnerable, it is on that area. 
yeah. you know, it's it's one thing to rush the money out the door in the middle of a of a pandemic, but do they have a plan to bring the economy back? And I don't so see any evidence of that. No, no, and and everyone is asking for it. You know, and we and we know that there's been pandemic bumps in the polls uh, over the past yeah. number of months. That you know that uh, many of the leaders have seen their their uh, popularity go up, or saying, okay, it's not bad. You're, you guys have been doing okay. My question is that going to change on a, on a federal level, given the uh, the the procurement and the distribution of vaccines in this in this country, and the fact that a lot of people are now learning that, you know, most of us probably won't be getting that vaccine until late fall, and, and that's not sitting well with, with folks. I think it's going to depend on what the, the number is. So, you know, I've got a, a COVID tracker. I watch that <laughs> several times a day to see how it's updated. We're dealing with a little over 300,000 that have been vaccinated if by the time you go to the polls that's three or four million i think that's one thing if it's one million i think that's completely different i don't think anyone is expecting you know 37 people or 37 million people being vaccinated by election time but there has to be some significant progress and that is on the uh that's on the federal government. And already we are seeing finger pointing about the vaccine mm-hmm. rollout between the provinces and the, sure. and the federal government. Uh, it's amazing that prior to December, you know, when the vaccination news came out, there was a lot of excitement. It's like, oh, my God, this is here. This is great. And now a lot of grumbling. <laughs> because mm-hmm. we're comparing mm-hmm. ourselves to Israel. We're comparing ourselves mm-hmm. to the U.S. and Britain where we're behind. But we're quite frankly ahead of Germany. We're ahead of France. We're ahead of Mexico. It all depends on which country you want to compare us to. <laughs> Isn't that and the And different truth? parties, depending on their perspective, <laughs> are going to bring up different examples. Dwayne, always great to talk with you. Appreciate your insight. Thanks for checking in with us this afternoon. Okay, you're welcome, Jalen.